and welcome to this week's VFX show where we are on the edge of tomorrow, possibly on the edge of our seats depending on, on what you think. The uh, new Tom Cruise film, uh, pre-panned I'd say by many people, um, the assumption that they wouldn't like it seemed to be running pretty strong in people that I was talking to and then the people that saw it said it was really good. To find out whether or not it was good, bad and whether the visual effects lived up to uh, the kind of expectations. We have uh, Matt and Jason joining us. We have the band back together. How guys? How are you? Excellent. Good. Great. So, so Matt Wallen, where are you at the moment? Uh, in some hot place, presumably, in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, Hispanic. I'm, I'm uh, at my home in Richmond, Virginia, and it has been super hot, although finally tonight we got a little bit of rain, so it's cooled off some. And... Uh, I believe, Jason, you're doing the whole cat on a hot tin roof New York thing. Yes, I'm uh, equally as hot, just slightly north. Right. Well, I'm going to go north next week um, up to the Northern Hemisphere, so hopefully I'll catch a bit of your pathetic attempt at heat compared to our <laughs> our scorching summers in Australia. But I'm going to say our summers here are jolly nice. You'll you'll know that in the middle of winter right now, let me just check this for you because I don't want to lead you astray as I either say this to you, but... Here we are in the middle of winter, and it is incredibly cold, 22 degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is, Fahrenheit, <laughs> but I can get you a trip. I've literally got winter jackets on because it's just so cold. I'm going to convert that for you guys because you don't know what that is. I have no idea you know, what that means. I have, an, I have an app here that does that for me. Give me one second, and then we'll get into... You're a math into, guy. Can't you do it in your head? Uh, it's really hard with the offset because you guys aren't doing things um, sensibly. It is 71 degrees. Oh. And I've got a winter coat on. <laughs> That's brutal. You're like a Californian. Oh, it's, it's just horrendous. We're just having to live through another one of these bitter winters here in Sydney. <laughs> um, but yes, it was very funny because I was like, so you're going north for, for, and I'm going to London. And of course, they like think that 21 degrees is the middle of summer. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, so we... I confess, uh, I saw a entire sort of opening reel, I guess, of this film ages ago. And ever since I saw that, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a film I'm going to really like. I like time travel. I quite like Tom Cruise films. Um, I know I'm in a minority in saying that. And I like, um, I like good effect sequences with lots of action, but, you know, with sort of an original plot. I applaud anyone that's making original sci-fi at the moment as opposed to, um, you know, sequel after sequel. So that's me. Matt, what about you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I think you kind of nailed my critique of the movie, too. Like, I, I'm not, I, I would say I was probably not always the biggest um, Tom Cruise fan, although I think he does, he has made some really interesting films over the course of his career. Um, I really like it when he does, like, more sort of character actor type pieces in general. But but he's, you know, a great uh, matinee idol, you know, like kind of classic uh, style Hollywood star, too. And, um, I didn't really know what to expect going in to see this thing. And I got to confess, like, I, I really, really liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Like I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I thought when I left the theater, I was thinking not only did um, Tom Cruise, you know, really win me over in a big way and his enthusiasm, but it had a great sense of humor, almost like a gallows mm. sense of humor that I think is also um, something that you experience a lot working in the film business is that sort of gallows humor that people get working long hours on a set or working long hours at a VFX shop. Um, and it had a, an incredible amount of um, just real originality. Like I didn't know um, watching it in the theater, I didn't know where it was going to go next. I, I was um, 
I, it didn't take the turns that I expected it to turn. And I, I found that really um, refreshing. So I, I really, really liked it a lot. I thought it was great. And for the eighth time, Jason, what did you think? Uh, eighth oh, that was a little. I was a joke. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Resist. Yes. Uh, we've done this before, <laughs> I believe. Um, yes. I really liked it as well. My brother had seen it before me and was like, you need to go see it. It's really good. And I am a big Tom Cruise fan, and I'm a huge, even larger Emily Blunt fan. Yeah, she's uh, good, isn't she? And she was I, great in this, yeah. And I like Doug Lyman. So, you know, he he is the perfect guy to direct this film because he has a great mix. He's like a Favreau. He can do a really good mix of, of action and humor. Uh early films being like go and swingers and later Mr. and Mrs. Smith and the first born movie. And like, so he's got a pretty, you know, like up and down career in terms of movie styles and whatever. And I thought he handled it really well. It was a, it was a new kind of alien, uh, in terms of, they didn't go for something walking around. They don't even really walk. You'd never see the, the main ships if there are any, there's laser blasts coming from all these places in the battles. You have no idea where they're coming from. And I think that's really cool. You're in the middle of their situation. They do that whole opening sort of Citizen Kane news on the march, you know, montage of all the stuff that's happening and has happened, catches you up, gives you your characters, sets it up, and then they just get into it. And, of course, the main uh, comparison is it's Groundhog's Day, right? It's not really time travel. It's Groundhog's Day. Uh, I guess it's time travel, but it's 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 not yeah. your traditional time travel. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, I guess for me, I yeah, you know, I said time travel, didn't I? And I I think of it that way. I I agree. Obviously, the Groundhog Day thing is uh, true. You know, can you? Can you get one day right? Can you get it perfect? And I thought Groundhog Day, by the way, was a great film. I mean, I really enjoyed that film. Um, and, and I love when you get something like a time travel or, as, as you point out in this case, this uh, like a premise that lets you wonder, hey, how would I react to that? Like, what could you do? And you've got a constrained system, right? You can't take anything with you to the next uh, thing. Um, and then you kind of just, I find myself sort of having a cup of coffee afterwards thinking about that, going, oh, what that um yeah would do there hmm yeah and thought about that so uh yeah so there's some really interesting um thought processes going on we're going to switch to the visual effects in a second but i wanted to uh echo a uh, i think it was an npr um review i read because i thought it was a really interesting take on i apologize if it wasn't npr but um somebody said this is the best video uh, game film ever made that didn't actually involve anything to do with a video game and by that, they pointed out that most video game films have, you know, a Lara Croft type character and she's invincible and she just goes through and she kills all the bad guys and she keeps on killing all the bad guys and she does whatever they did in the, um, in the game and that's normally like running down corridors and killing people. The thing is, that isn't the experience of a gamer. The experience of a gamer is this film, right? You just try and get up there and you can't. You don't have the skills yet, and you do it again, you get the skills, and then you, you find something on the way, and then next time you, when you get killed, you know to go back and find it in the same place because that's going to help you get through the bit you're going to need. And, and in many respects, um, while there was no reference to gaming in this, it is really tapping into that, um, that kind of mental uh, position, don't you think, Matt? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the psychological um, components of that, uh, they even kind of riff on it a little bit in the um, 
in the editorial style, which is a great component in this film too, the way that the, the movie is edited together. It'd be interesting to see um, the edit um, in conjunction with, you know, just thumbing through uh, the shooting script too, like the bit where um, there, you know, spoilers, obviously, I guess, but um, you know, the fact that Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise's character through the inception of this um alien blood that he gets on him right he becomes infected as the emily blunt character was with this um this power to sort of slip sync and reset time um in the story and i mean it's pretty inventive the way that it works but there's a great moment uh editorially in the film they do it a couple times and it and it actually adds to the humor element that i was sort of referencing earlier where um the first uh time that he goes back to reset over and over again is this moment where he sort of wakes up on the uh the tarmac at Heathrow and there's a guy who walks up to him and calls him maggot you know like like is like in the sense of a um you know a, a fresh recruit or something at boot camp you know he's like maggot and um and they play that over and over again and it's really reminiscent of the kind of experience like you're saying Mike that you would have if you're playing a video game where you're trying to sort of you know, get to the next level and accomplish some task that you have to do or some puzzle you have to solve. And, and they're sort of going through those same machinations over and over again within the context of the film. And it makes for a really fun, um, uh, sense of levity at times that I think, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was, it felt really fresh in that respect and it, and it was cool. And it definitely hearkened to that. That's an interesting um, comparison. I hadn't actually thought of that um, directly until you mentioned it, but that's a cool um, uh, assessment of it. Yeah, now, Jason, did... you probably, you, you probably know this cause you're a cool guy, but it was <laughs> based in part on some Japanese book called full metal the... bitch or something. No, it was called all you need is kill, which was okay. actually the original, that wrong. <laughs> re, the original name of the uh, movie for a right. while. Um, I didn't read the book, but um, I I imagine it was extremely popular because it would be very hard to sell this kind of movie without it having that, uh, you know, in your pitch meeting, you know. Oh, no, it's like, you know, Independence Day meets Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll get Tom Cruise. It'll be great, you know. Um, well, it's Groundhog's Day meets... Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Saving, Private Saving Ryan, sort yeah. of, yeah. Um, well, for me anyway. But I, I like the humor stuff that I really liked was uh, it was the classic Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise has that same, uh, I'm not making this comparison directly, but, but the thing that makes Harrison Ford so great as Indiana Jones is he can play the drama and then he gives you that sly smile and a wink and charm just exudes out of the guy. And Tom Cruise has that laugh, right? He just does that smile and that laugh and you're like, oh, it's Tom Cruise. Awesome, right? He can break the tension in a scene by doing that and he does that a few times. But later, uh, the combination of both Bill Paxton as the as the drill sergeant, um, which I like to think is his same character from Aliens, sort of you know moved on to a, I mean, a higher rank. If you make a movie, if you make a movie and you don't get Bill Paxton in some role, I'm not. I'm going to disown yeah. knowing you. Yeah, I, I will. Believe me, I promise. Uh, he is just the best in a movie he's like awesome. this. And yeah. so much fun. But if I got him in the movie, I would make him in a movie. I would make him the older version of Chet from Weird Science. <laughs> uh, well, now that's an obscure reference, but yeah. okay, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but you know the humor of like when he, when he's 
figures out that he's got to break away and go find Emily Blunt and he tries to roll into the truck and gets run over. You know, like <laughs> oh, yeah. all that yeah, kind of great. stuff is... I know, and Bill Paxton's look on his face when that happens. It's like, what? Yeah, like, what? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he did what? Um, yeah. I must admit, though, that 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 and the uh, Emily pulling out the gun and just shooting him to reset. Yeah, over and yeah. over again. Oh, gosh, that was funny. Um, but the the what I was going to... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, but I do... I do agree with both you and Matt about the gamer thing because that's a really good analogy that I hadn't thought of either, but it's this, it's true. I mean, and I actually do a lot of video game commercials and stuff. And it's even just, you know, having, um, having the talent on set have to learn a level that they literally have to play for real. Like, no, you have to either mimic this pre-recorded content or you have to physically play the game. Um, it's uh, it's and being a gamer myself, it, it it's reminiscent of that. You know, learn a level, keep going through these dense worlds that you know keep getting made bigger and bigger in all these video games. That you have to do all these missions and all these things, and if you don't make it, you got you have to start at the beginning, which is a giant pain in the ass. There's no save points <laughs> in uh, life. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, totally. So um, what do we think, uh, Nick? Uh, Davis was the overall VFX soup. Um, a bunch of houses worked on it. Imageworks, Framework, MPC, um, Rodeo. Gosh, I'm now stretching it. Uh, Third Floor did the previous. I think Prime Focus did the conversion. I'm missing somebody. Um, but uh, what do we actually think of the um, of the visual effects? I'll come back to the special effects and the suit, but the, just the visual effects now. I thought overall the visual effects were really, really strong. There were There was only one... Uh, and it's it's like the thing that is sort of the thing that always comes up, I feel like, in a way, on the show. There was only one sequence, um, and it's a really short sequence, uh, when they first get into the vehicle ah, and are I was driving. Say the same thing. Why can people not get that shot right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, but it, you know what's funny is then so there's... So we're going to solve no, the uncanny valley no windows. before we get outside a window. There's no windows in the car either. Like, they bust them out, right? So it's like... Yeah. yeah problem it's, one It's just even. really weird, and... And and then it's like the the movement isn't quite right. It's sort of off kilter, and it's not. And then the the focus is wrong. The black levels are a little bit off. And but it's only in that first shot. I thought there was a second shot of them in the vehicle just a little bit later. Like it's sort of you know like as if they've been driving for a while. It's like time goes by, and that one was much better. Seriously, you have an entire underwater alien master creature with with you know fast flying metal things and entire sections of the Louvre underwater with Paris and everything and you can't get it out the window shot. I mean I, I just I honestly I think I, it's just that, you know, people assume always I think that those are going to be really easy shots. And so they either give them sometimes and I you know, I don't know that this is the case, but maybe sometimes they give them to like, you know, a junior comper or they let an editor who maybe doesn't have uh, super great comping chops do those shots. I'm not sure. I but, think the problem know, I think the problem is the same problem that I call the Michael Bay flames problem, which is if you film, you know, flames and explosions and stuff on set, you nearly always clips. I mean, it just goes straight to clip, right? You just can't get the dynamic range to hold in that high stuff while you're exposing for normally whatever it is, the car or whatever that's being blown. And yet what they want to see is the rich yellow Michael Bay flame ball and the dark car, you know, easily visible at night before the bomb goes off. And so you get this, well, there in no way you're carrying the dynamic range from one to the other. But somehow with the flames, because we don't see fireballs that often, 
we kind of don't find it as offensive. But the it's window thing, thing, yeah, the window thing, it's like it's going to be practically white out there. Well, I don't want that. Well, let's see what's yeah, and, it's, and, it, and it's like that's everybody's daily commute for the most part. You know, it's like yeah. the, or or some trip to grandma's or whatever. You know, it's like everybody knows what it looks like when you're sitting in a car. And so you can't help but see those shots and they just jump out at you. And, you know, I don't know why that's the case, that, but it seems like, you know, it's almost like a uh, uh, it, 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 they're in almost every movie there's or every TV show. There's like a bad, you know, in the car comp. It's almost like somebody somebody did the comps and then was like, "Oh, we forgot that shot. Great, just grab and you know cut and paste the the <laughs> comp over and just swap the swap the mats and you know like go." Well, it's almost like nobody it's almost looked an at effects, it. It's almost an effects version of like the the Wilhelm scream or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's and. And the thing is that that Edge of Tomorrow has spectacularly good effects in other yeah. parts. So much more difficult. I mean, just mind-numbingly more difficult. Well, yeah. I mean, in in talking about the effects, I wouldn't say though that like that one bad comp in any way detracted from the other. No, no, no. I agree with you. Incredibly amazing effects. I just think it's it was if I was gonna if there's any one shot in the entire movie or one or two shots, it's that first driving sequence. <laughs> but everything else, I thought was almost without exception was just amazing work really really the battlefield stuff in particular just mind-blowingly awesome and a lot of it looking at your b-roll that you had in the the story that you guys had on fx guide which i didn't see any of that previously a lot of those i mean speaking of practical explosions a lot of that stuff is practical too which is so awesome yeah this is this is um unless i'm mistaken jason this is shot on film right is it I don't. I know yeah, Doug I Lyman's so. a big red guy, I so, so I I thought maybe it was, uh, and I saw it in 3D, so I I wasn't oh, sure. Maybe it was. I wasn't I thought, sure if I don't think he shot stereo, but but I I know that he's a red guy, but I just honestly I I did forgot to check what it was shot on. Okay, well I'll have to loop around on that, but I I thought it was shot on. Well, hang on, I can see a camera in this frame. Let me just have a look. <laughs> I'm on FX Guide, and uh, it looks like he has big Panavision set up. I thought. It looks like he's got an Ari on his shoulder um, filming on the beach. Uh, and uh, But I could be wrong. Um, no, I mean, like it, to me. you know, at those budget levels, you know, most dudes Whatever shoot you film, you know. But uh, um, I, I, uh, I, I just totally realized why you said Saving Private Ryan because of the beach scene, which I saw thought when I saw it. But then I was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, no shit. But that scene, what's crazy, though, is you think, like, imagine Saving Private Ryan had that scene uh, from 10 different angles four times in the movie. I mean, like, the exact same scene. Like, that's a heavy ask, right, for for both visual effects, practical, and even direction, coverage. Like, that's, you got to really map that out. You know what I mean? Well, I think the other thing is these suits, which is the one to come back to, because... Uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, was obviously realism and and respectful and everything else. Um, you know what? Just as we're talking, I've got a shot here of Doug looking through a viewfinder with a friggin' great mag um, shooting 5207. Uh, so I think yeah. we're going to say that was a bit of film. Yeah? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so shooting with those those. The thing is, I really liked um, uh, Elysium's. Um, suits. So if I hadn't seen Elysium, I'd be more enthusiastic about these suits. But um, I don't know. I would 
you know, I don't know. What do you guys think well, about this? Was the suits? a better because movie than Elysium? Yeah, yeah, but the suits. I'm just talking about the suits. Yeah, now. I thought the were, suits were. I thought the suits were great because they weren't. You know, the Elysium suits are like biomechanical, so they're like jacked into you, and it's like a more of a of a, a hacked together kind of thing. These are like you know, you step in, you do your thing. They're they're closer to the Ripley, you know, cargo loader mech type yep. thing than it is. Uh, uh, Elysium. I thought the suits are really cool. I I really dug the fact that in the first time they send them to the thing, they don't tell them how to use it, and it's in like Japanese and French <laughs> That's and like right, isn't it? whatever. Is and, the safety on? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, I don't know what you mean. Uh, and tied into that, the big guy who's in his underwear, who the the they dropped the <laughs> ship on, and then he keeps <laughs> trying to save him, away. and then he just stops saving him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like- but the, the I thought the suits were really cool too. Like, and I, I think what was cool about them is that they looked kind of not cool. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they, they looked like oh, something okay. that, in in a way that they looked like something that, like you know, a, a defense contractor or some DARPA, you know, thing would develop this, you know, super pragmatic but not necessarily super cool looking and aesthetic suit. I mean, it was it was cool. Like the the. Um, the sort of CG like um, guns that sprung up on the back. I think sometimes those were uh, digital, right? And shot stuff. Uh, I can't remember what they call them, like those, um, like praying mantis kind of yeah. guns or whatever. Even though I you think were really deaf. neat, but it, <laughs> when those things went off, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> totally. You or blow your own head off yeah. or something. But well, but I, I that, see. It's funny because I thought, I thought the Elysium kind of cool. suits were cooler, but now I see what your point is about them being kind of more military um, uh, thing. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you on that. So the interesting thing about them, I thought, though, is that you had the actors running in suits that were on basically a fire of a flying fox. So you'd have a wire from above, and they could run along the beach, basically, on a huge cable run over their heads. Did you see that in the B-roll? It's yeah, like yeah. An that astonishingly cool thing. But I mean, that's that's some serious planning as well, right? It's always where's the camera going to be? But I'm going to have all these guys on cables, and then my hero actor. He's going to be very constrained to run along in the straight line that I just laid up the night before. Well, um, that was one thing too, I guess, was, that was interesting, and you know, I think it's somewhat subjective. I don't, I don't know that I liked it as much, but the the way in which the actors were required to ambulate in that suit was, it didn't feel um, as real in terms of the locomotion as maybe like you're referencing the suit in. Um, Elysium, which I think the movement of that suit felt more um, free in terms of the actor's motion. And these, when you show, when they showed the long lines of all the guys, sort of um, the soldiers, like getting on these uh, quad quad rotor copters or whatever for the big invasion, when they're all marching towards them, the the locomotion <laughs> was it, it was um, it's so strange. Like it looks weird, you know. It well, doesn't look. Um, natural well they they kind of they kind of set that up in a way when they talk about the uh the emily blunt character how basically the suit is what did all the work right it's the suit allows basically anyone to be a soldier like you don't it's the suits doing the work you're just sort of in it it's almost like a robot that you're just in but you're not really doing that much it seemed like you know in terms of what the suit is capable of versus your interaction with it and at least that's what I took from it, which is why it was so sort yeah. of lumbery, and it's almost like you're just there to make it move. 
Okay, so Nick Davis was the overall set. We mentioned that. Dan Kramer was the image work supervisor that did the dropship, the beach attack that we've been talking about, and then the uh, the trailer park bit, you know, that happens. Um, and I think um, they stopped at about the helicopter. Um, and I think Imageworks did a really good job. I mean, we've been talking about this uh, whole film and haven't got off the beach yet. <laughs> and I think the reason for that is that opening stuff is just incredibly compelling. But I think you picked up on it um, a second ago when we were talking, Matt, that there was an enormous amount of practical effects. In addition to these cables, I'm talking about, like, so imagine sort of if you could imagine a, a rocket, but it's on a cable run. So you've got these terrific things flying across the set, uh, looking like rockets, real explosions, without any visual effects. It was a pretty impressive set to be standing on the edge of, is my guess. Um, so, you know, full shout out to the special effects guys who sometimes especially with destruction sequences or fire explosion stuff these days we, i guess we i certainly assume a lot of that's put in in camera uh sorry put in in post and and that wasn't the case i think these guys worked really really well to produce some um, and that that b-roll footage too like i mean some of it actually looks like it was kind of crazy dangerous even you know like they're so close to some of the destruction even like the um later in the film the helicopter crash into the barn which is another yeah. great practical uh, feat um, and uh, yeah, the, and the uh, the missiles on wires. I know. I think a lot of the the sort of helix um, uh, projectiles that sort of are like a dual sort of spinning around one. I think a lot of those were um, added digitally later. But there are a couple of just sort of straight on um, rockets that are in that B roll. That I mean, it just all of it was just so cool. I mean, you see how much they actually did on set, and it's really impressive. Yeah, I mean the 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 chopper crash thing i thought was really well um well done for you know that barn the only thing i would say is i felt that when they're in the barn when tom i think turned on what uh, you were referring to earlier jason in terms of charm i think when they're in the barn it felt a little bit sound stagey um and i don't know why i say that i think it's probably just the lighting um when they stepped outside it was all great also felt a little sound stagey in paris to me just to i don't know why i say that but yeah. yeah, the night, the nighttime stuff. Yeah, assuming when. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's true. Like, just because the it's so dark and there's none of the like kind of sodium vapor lighting that you'd have probably in any real city environment. Everything's dark, and so it's really just illuminated by you know whatever kind of lights they're using on set to get that kind of um, you know whatever they're using for for uh, for fill. You know, like to kind of give you some kind of outline of the characters, and then everything else. I think because they they didn't shoot. If I'm not mistaken, they that I think it is all shot on soundstage, right? And it's all all that uh, Paris stuff. Most of it's um, uh, digital set extension, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Paris now we've moved to frame store uh, for that sequence. I mean, I liked it. I just, uh, you know, I just think it felt a little bit um, uh, movie-esque, which I guess means fake. One of the things that I didn't think looked fake at all, I thought was really good, was the training room. And I want to cover that before we move off in case I forget to get back to it. Because I'm pretty sure that was Cinesite. And man, I thought that training room sequence was uh, a hoot. I thought it was suitably threatening, suitably believable, but it was also big and it was an interesting space. And it, the fact that she's alone in it, like the setup of going in to find her and and everything about that, I thought worked really well. I, I It just worked as a combination of effects and prac. And um, look, it's not the most impressive thing in the film, but... Uh, I like that uh, well, that training room quite a lot. It serves a purpose, right? I mean, that's what the training room would be. So yeah. it, it it serves a purpose, but I like also that they don't really show you other people training in it, really. 
It's yeah. really just her, so which gives her a huge amount of, you know, gives her character a huge, you know, uh, credit and backstory just that yeah. she's, you know, no one's even going in this massive thing, just yeah. her doing a weird handstand in the middle of it, you know, uh, or push up or whatever. And uh, I did feel like that somebody said at some point, hey, how are we going to know that we got back to the same point? where Tom met her. Well, have a start by doing some weird handstand yeah. or push-up or something. Some yeah, something really thing. unusual that you would want to not do in the middle of a training setup and then, then we'll always know. Yeah, well, um, it's the Zen. It's like she's yeah. it's her Zen thing. Yeah, she's, it's meditative. Yeah. yeah. Noel Taylor was pretty good as well as the science guy that, that they went and found um, uh, and the how many fingers am I holding by my back? And yeah. that played very well when they went back. The, he went back the second time, and he was like starting to do the whole, you know, how many? He's like, yeah, you're holding fingers behind your back. Yeah, we did it. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but but it's those. It's that's what's really good writing about it, and that's what I was going to uh, bring up before is, you know, in Groundhog's Day. Not to make it's not a rip on Groundhog's Day, but it's it's it has the similar. It's like Groundhog's Day in source code. You know, it's, it's the sort of you have to learn something and redo it, but in Groundhog's Day, you don't know why he's why he's repeating the day. He just is. He has to figure it out, and you have to figure it out. In this movie, they tell you pretty much everything you need to know all the way through the first act. This is why you're doing this. This is why you're repeating the day. This happened to me. This is what's. This is how it's going to stop. And this is how like they're giving you the whole plot in that scene, basically. And this is this Although, is what's going to happen. And then they show it to you. And that actually yeah. makes it much harder to make a movie when the audience knows exactly what's going to happen if they just listen. Uh, so it's an interesting choice, uh, much like uh, it's similar to the moon thing, you know, uh, uh, the movie moon where, you know, they give you the carrot mm-hmm. in the first act. Then they solve the carrot and then they're like, now, now just sit back and let us make a movie and, and entertain yeah. you. And it's sort yeah, of the same did- thing. But that's but that's the other thing too in the in the way in which the story was constructed. Just to go back to the story for a second too, in that context that I thought was so inventive and really fresh, which was that I thought I knew where they were going and what it was that they needed to do and what was going to get what was going to happen. And then you get to the sort of tail end of the second act, and you're like, oh, by the way, like that's a projection. Like that's what they want you to see. That's a fake out. Yeah. 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 And then you're like, wait, what? What? So what? Like what's the deal? So now what's the thing to be about? Yeah. Yeah. And they had introduced that tool, but it was kind of like, I'd sort of forgotten about it. Like it it was clever. It worked like it, it was, you know, it, it followed the same kind of, you know, structure that I think we're familiar with in cinema, but at the same time too, like it was really inventive and fresh in the way that the story unfolded. And so even by the time they did, you know, decide they're going to go to Paris, like I didn't know for, to do the, to find the actual, whatever that thing was called at the end, but I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like I, I, I found myself kind of like, Oh, this is cool. Like I don't see the outcome. Like I'm not sure how this is going to all go down. So in my own little version of this film where I can't seem to get us off the beach, I just want one last thing on the beach and then we're going to move off in terms of visual effects, which is I can't leave the beach sequence without giving just props to prime focus on the 3D stereo conversion. We don't discuss stereo conversion that much anymore, but that beach sequence, given that that was live action and it's film and it's being uh, stereo split apart and those, you know, I mean, okay, some they may have got some help with some of the sort of 3D stuff, but I mean, there's a, so much in the shot that wouldn't have been in any way, shape, or form provided. Oh my God! Yeah, um, sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, total monster. Oh, 
Yeah, smoke, like seriously, sand this, this, explosions. Yeah. yeah, if you're listening to this and you work at Prime Focus, respect. <laughs> um, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Hey, I don't know. Uh, okay, I said I was going to go off the, the the beach, and I haven't quite. But you know the dropship, which by the way I thought worked kind of well. It's kind of a fun thing with him, where he had the gaffer tape over his mouth. Yeah. Um, I heard an interview with Emma Blunt, and she was in the dropship, uh, but in the film she wasn't in the dropship, right? She was. Yeah, she's in one she's of the dropships. She's in a dropship. She's in one no, no, that crashes. No, she's in our dropship, but not his dropship. Not ship. his, no. Yeah, Correct. I think there was a plot change because I think they filmed her in the dropship and and then they decided it would be better if... Because you know how her presence in the uh, like on the beach is you sort of feel like she's coming on another wave of another vehicle. Yeah, yeah but, but apparently because uh, there was... There was some point where they were both hanging in the dropship facing each other and Emma Blunt was like managed to finally get Tom Cruise to admit that this wasn't actually fun because it was just so crappy in this super hot weather <laughs> in the in the suits hanging being filmed in a cramped space with lights um and they weren't meant to look comfortable and it was just you know and at some point Tom Cruise was like please shoot this shot <laughs> please <laughs> please roll now because <laughs> they've been like hanging there quite uncomfortably um and, and uh yes for, also uh, i mean also from a uh suit design for her and her people uh who had their own vibe with the uh sort of kabuki faces on their things but also anytime you give a robot or any mech anything a sword i'm in totally <laughs> in with robots using swords i don't know why because it's totally that antithetical was a blade of a plane or something that she'd picked up but yeah whatever no, it, it had was, a it handle was... on it like i think okay, it was okay. her like you know japanese style sword and okay well, whoever whoever I, it looked like a cricket like a futuristic cricket yeah. bat <laughs> anytime you, someone would even contemplate a robot needing a sword is a genius to me okay um i'm sure Wait, you before but i i know we were going to leave the beach but i just have to but mention there we are. One of... we're going to go back to it time and time again yeah go on there's just one other thing that because it comes it comes later too but the other thing we haven't talked about which i thought was which i totally dug i thought was great was the um the both the the mimic soldiers but also the um whatever the alpha mimic the bluish yeah. right the ones. one that goes the power yep those things were really cool and they they sort of had a tiny bit of the um what do you call those things from the matrix the yeah, uh squids yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. The sentinels or whatever they were called um it had a little bit of that but it was much more chaotic much more frenetic and kind of just insane in terms of the animation aspects um, that were employed in the design of those creatures, and then the uh, the smaller ones that were sort of the you know the grunts or whatever soldiers, um, you know they almost they seemed to have almost no um, discernible you know head or whatever. It was just like nothing but tentacles, which was great and really cool and such a neat looking um, and neat ambulating type of creature. But then the alpha one that had that. Um, almost like a, the Dementor, you know, from the uh, Harry Potter films kind of face and that kind of the the open mouth with the light coming out from inside. I thought they were just, they were really fun. They were they were scary as all get out and they were like totally non, you know, absolutely non-human. You couldn't really anthropomorphize them in any way. And so that made it really fun, like as a, as a menace within the story. Well, you know, it's clearly a testament to how well Image Works did their job that we just can't stop talking about the effects on that beach sequence. Um, 
you know, because it is, I think it's like a really compelling part of the film. And, and by the way, um, there's more on that in the FX Guide article, including the stuff that uh, Imageworks used Arnold to render this. And for those of you that want to get into the interesting stuff, the, uh, the stuff about the shader team and how they used a new um, scientifically measured set of uh, materials to produce their BRDFs for the um, Arnold pipe that uh, was going on there. But we do have to move off the beach at some point. And I've got to say, that was the only criticism I had when I saw that initial reel way back in the day, which just, you know, it had me in, but I'm thinking this is good for like whatever that was. I'm guessing I was like five minutes or 10 minutes that I saw that, you know, that whole first reel thing. But then I don't know how long, how long is a reel? I should know that. Right. But anyway, it was, um, the concern, okay, where's it going to go? Isn't this going to get boring if we never, you know, if it's just always on the beach and we never get off the beach, this is going to be a film that I'm going to start getting pretty, pretty tired about. And and they did get off the beach, and I think they got off the beach pretty successfully. I actually think going to London was a really uh, interesting play, obviously ending up in Paris. But the trailer park sequence, um, the chopper crash we've already mentioned, uh, but you know stuff that happened in London, both both trips, the um, the uh, getting the um, stuff from the the uh, five star general, I guess, and uh, but the pub version as well. Um, yeah, where he takes the day off, kind of. Yeah. And, <laughs> But that, I thought that was all really, um, really well done. Now, I think I'm going to say that um, uh, so Rodeo helped out on Heathrow back at the start. I'm not quite sure who did because I know uh, Framesaw did, um, did London as I uh, Paris, so I have to check who did London. Um, MPC did the Amiga section where Tom actually goes in under uh, the Louvre. So before we get to the Louvre and, um, and just this stuff off the beach, uh, any comments on the stuff? I mean, I thought London looked good. I thought the stuff coming up under the water in the Thames looked really interesting. You guys? Yeah, uh, I would concur. I mean, the the London stuff, I mean, I don't... Was it just uh, in terms of the... Uh, I'm trying to think, like, I mean, this... this remember he steps being... outside and they, they've started attacking London? And, oh, um, right, right, right. Yeah, and then I, and the and the part on the... Um, on the river when they uh, yeah. they're swarming and they eventually come up then and uh, <laughs> that's one of his moments where he dies right as it leaps up onto the bridge that he's on but yeah no that stuff looked really cool I mean I think that there was it was one of those things where I mean maybe it's a testament to how good it was in that like I you know thinking back on it I'm like yeah well what, what, what was it no no was... effects yeah it was all shot for real yeah yeah, yeah it's all really <laughs> happening I mean it was so I thought it was really great and I thought that you know what what makes it interesting is yeah when you start to talk about all those different um environments in which you know uh aspects of this film take place too yes there is that um sort of repetition component that is a key element to the story but there's also a lot of really interesting um quieter and more subtle moments that take place in terms of character development stuff in these other environments as well as these sort of 10 10 trend tangential i can't even say it um uh moments like the the him taking the day off in london or the mission where they have to go to get uh, you know this device out of the safe of the general and like so it almost becomes like a different movie in a way where there's you know it's almost like a little bit of the born uh it is isn't know, it? which That's... is the other lyman film where he has to sneak into the building or something yeah. you know? i mean it's easy to think oh there was not much effects in london but just that escape sequence with the uh with the uh, weapon from the safe you know the the car oh, chase explosion yeah. stuff that alone would you know rate as a good effect sequence on someone's showreel uh, oh, totally <laughs> Absolutely. Though, though you do have that problem, don't you, where you go like, 
I did uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Really? Brilliant. Which bit did you do? The car chase. Yeah, not remembering that. No, 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 no. You know, in, in London. Yeah, no, no. Was it the mimics on the beach? No, 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 no. Paris. No, no, no but the London. Second, but the second anybody saw it on your reel, they'd immediately remember it. Yeah, sure. It. But you know what I mean? Like, there are just, there are sequences that get burned into your skull that you will then think of the film, you'll think of those sequences. And I always feel bad but for That's the true of any big effects oh, movie. Oh, true. Like, absolutely. That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. I mean, if you said to me that you worked on the uh, training sequence, at you know Heathrow in this, I'd immediately be, oh yeah, that was great, that was great. I just think that, you know, it may not have been any particularly technically difficult, more difficult to do, the car chase escape in London, but that just isn't the one that's you know coming to mind. But yeah, actors yeah. have that as well, right? It's like I was in that film, sure. and you're like, really? I don't, I don't know you Where? weren't. Yeah, no, really, I was. I was the guy. Can I ask um, you guys how long do you think he was looping for? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would guess like you know six months or something. It well, like. well, to put it in, to put it since we're using the Groundhog's Day to put it in comparison, how long do you think Bill Murray was stuck in the day in Groundhog's Day? Because there's an actual answer. So, okay, so I think in Groundhog Day he learned how to play the piano to sort of a very professional level. So I'm going to say a couple of years on Groundhog Day. Uh, on this one. Um, hmm. I would have said the same. Yeah, a couple of years. Okay, what's well? What's your uh, position, Matt? You take a bet. There's a yeah, beer I mean, on this. I would have, see, I would have said probably six months in this film, only okay. because like the he does get really great at certain things, but he doesn't. See, I would have said six months, except for by the time they go to London to rescue the um the weapon. I'm thinking like six months to get off the beach, maybe. But then, you know, you've got all the whole thing and every time you went up for the helicopter, it Well, true. Yeah, and then the and thing with the keys to the helicopter and how he said that, you know, he's yeah. done it every way possible. And, and then the whole thing, like, don't forget to unhitch the trailer. Yeah, she didn't yeah unhitch you're the trailer. right. Anyway. Yeah, so maybe it would have been longer. Yeah. So, you, so you've somehow miraculously found this out, Jason. This is exactly the kind of trivia that we love you for. So I, don't, what, what's I, don't, I don't know the answer for this movie, but I'm using a relative gauge of what I do know about Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's okay. Day is the answer is forty years. Really? Yeah. Someone what? did the math yeah. and went through and said it would take someone this long to learn this skill, this long to learn this skill, and whatever, and then put that up against an interview with Harold Ramis, where Harold Ramis said, in his estimation, when he was working on the script, he thought it was about thirty years. So it's, like it's some horrible okay. Malcolm Gladwell equation. Yeah, it's like, yeah, ten thousand hours. Yeah. So so. If you take that general logic, I would say it's at least a few years for Edge of Tomorrow for the amount of things that he does in, in under very high stress circumstances. Like Groundhog's Day, it, there's no stress per se in his learning ability. He can choose to do anything he wants. There's no one going to kill him or shoot him or aliens or anything. So in this case, he has to learn how to fight. He has to learn how to fly a helicopter. He has to learn how and where and when to be and all these things. So it's got to be five years or something. I mean, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because they, yeah, they don't, they don't in any way allude to or reference like her. I mean, they talk about her experience, but they don't give you any sense of the. She talks about how she, and then at one point she lost it, right? Because she, you know, bled out or whatever. Like she didn't die, right? Um, and but they don't really talk about in any way, and she never references like the longevity of the experience and you right. don't really get a strong sense from him in any key uh, elemental plot point where it's described. I mean, it's interesting to think yeah, about. They, well, because they, they do the things, they do drop hints like 
the trailer bit, the helicopter bit, the, you know, thing with saving the guy who gets crushed by the helicopter, the thing, or the quad quadcopter, the thing where he repeats word for word Bill Paxson's thing <laughs> and he knows their hands in the poker under well, the even when bed. They're, and, even when they're, even when they're um, in the room getting that device in London in the scene that I reckon people forget, you remember the woman walks in and she's like, your you know, sister is whatever, you know, the phone's going to ring once, she's going to say this, blah, blah, blah. And then finally he goes, oh, here it is. And he goes, what happens now? He goes, well, no, we never got this far before. Yeah, that's right. true. Yeah. So, and to get to that point, to actually get that far and not have made a mistake, not even just tripped up once and had a mimic kind of wipe you out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking about that too, how it would be so, the, 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 especially the scene you were mentioning, Jason, where he rolls under the truck yeah. <laughs> to get away and then gets run over. Like if he had to actually do that roll every time after he died, like it seems like... Well, yeah, that's you the thing. Count, but like, there's so many times where you would get it wrong. But to to go back to Mike's video game reference, if you now go back and think about all the scenes where he kept moving forward and put it all together, like if, if you edit re-edited this movie into one scene all the way through where he did everything <laughs> yeah, exactly right, really it would be insane the amount of shit that he has to do, much less figure out how to do it. Yeah, right. he'd be he'd be like the super superhero yeah. video yeah. games. Almost so. as hard as the guys that had to do the stereo conversion on the beach. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, that's the stuff I think about when I'm watching the movie. Like Yeah, that's that's really cool though. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's actually a really fun thing about this movie though. That's why I don't know, I really hope this movie finds like a, a an, an audience. Like I, I saw that, you know, it didn't have the greatest opening weekend, at least here in the US. And I don't know, you know, if word of mouth is going to give it more legs. I hope it does because I feel like I, it's I, such I'm going to ask you guys though. It just seems like oh. the reason for that is just a Tom Cruise factor. The rest of the world thinks Tom is a great cinema action star, and that he's you know, appealing on screen. And the U.S. seems to just not go there. And I don't know. Like I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would say that uh, across the board. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think that, it's that a marketing is. thing. He, he certainly personally. went well in um, in the uh, last Mission Impossible, and I think they're making a, another one of those. I understand. Listen, I was gonna. I was just gonna mention uh, in passing. Speaking of that Tom Cruise factor, like I mean, he he did kind of, you know, he did give some people kind of like an ick vibe here in the states, like a, you know, for a while with some of his, uh, you know, shenanigans or whatever. Although you know, I don't personally really care about any of that, but I did listen to. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard that guy. Uh, what's his name? Chris? Uh, is it Chris Hardwick, who does oh, the yeah. Nerdist mm-hmm. podcast? And he had Tom Cruise on the show, and they talked about this movie. And I gotta tell you, like just listening to that interview with Tom Cruise on the on the Nerdist podcast, like it's so cool. Like I had so much respect for him because he talks about, in particular, a lot of um, his early film work, like in Taps and uh, and. Um, oh. What was it in the outsiders and stuff like that? And so he talks about like his beginnings of his career. And the thing that he keeps saying over and over again that I really just I've so much props to the guy was he just talks about, I think anybody listening to this show and we would all probably say the same thing. He just talks about how he loves movies. He loves movies and anything he doesn't know, like throughout his career, he just wants to find people who are the expert in it in in the world of cinema and you know, ask them, well, how'd you do that? Why'd you make this choice? Why'd you make that choice? And it's, for him, it's all about like learning and getting better. And I think you look at a film like this, you know, whatever you want to say about, 
you know, Tom Cruise, the celebrity, you know, or whatever. But you look at a film like this and I just think like, he, you know, he or he surrounded himself with his production team and a great director, a great writer, great actors, great effects people and stuff. And has really made, I think, an excellent, you know, top notch uh, film that's totally original, you know, and really, really fun. And that's, so I don't know, I just hope it finds its, uh, I hope it finds some legs, at least here in the U.S. But that's the problem with the U.S. is that we're over marketed to. So you get you can't give away what's happening in the movie in the longer arc. So the whole marketing is really based around the beach scene, really, right? Mm -hmm. Within reason. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go see a movie that takes place pretty much all on the beach with him redo repeating it over and over, which is what you were saying, Mike, when you saw that first reel. Mm. It's, it looks awesome, but it's not as tantalizing as it could be. And that's not a, I'm sure that's a purely a marketing thing. That's not a knock on the trailer editors. But, you know, it's it's really hard to market movies that aren't really what you need to market. Right. Yeah. So it's I like, mean, it's a yeah. hard it's a hard line to walk. Yeah. Well, but then at the same time, too, though, you think about the fact that, you know, the way in which most big tentpole releases like this make their money is it's international. You know, yeah. I mean, like this movie is probably doing gangbusters, you know, in you know, China and, you know, in Europe, I don't know. Like, I mean, I would imagine it's probably doing much more business than it is in the U S and, I, and so, you know, they're making this film and maybe it doesn't market well in the way it's, uh, marketed here in the U S but like at the same time too, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's marketable, I think in a large way to a, to a global audience. Like it's, it's got a cross cultural appeal that's pretty well, dynamic and broad. I can tell you that the, production budget was 178 million dollars it's been open since june 18th uh oh no sorry it opened uh june 6th. 6th it opened yeah d it opened on the anniversary of d-day right which i thought was so kind of cool <laughs> june 6th domestically it's only made 62 and a half million dollars in yeah. two weeks right but 243 worldwide i think right, right? 243 worldwide so 181 worldwide and uh 62 and a half so it's almost a almost a three to one difference yeah that's crazy i mean it's a big it's a big change in the way in which these kind of films i think gain gain an audience and gain traction it's interesting to see okay so i think we now need to talk about paris um and i think there's you know there's two parises there's the above ground sequence where they use the the basically the plane as a boat um, and that's a kind of interesting sequence. Uh, but then there's the the big underwatery stuff that's happening at the end. Um, I guess the underwatery stuff is is what more interesting to me because I, as I said already, I found the stuff above a little bit studioy um, for my taste. But uh, you know, it was it was good. But the uh, section underneath, as was the section in the kind of dream slash uh, dam stuff, I thought that was all really really interesting and really good. Um, so what do you think, Jason? I, uh, I thought the underwater thing was, was, uh, was good. The, it's goes back to my earlier comment that it's, it's an interesting thing when you don't know a lot about the alien stuff, right? Normally we get so much information about the alien, mm. but in this case, we really don't know anything, why they're doing what they're doing, what their end goal is, what even the, the, the earth means to them or whatever. It's just this giant, weird thing sitting underwater in the Louvre uh, that he's got to go kill, destroy, or whatever. 
and I, it all totally worked. I mean, the him, you know, swimming down, swimming away from the what was it? The Alpha, right? The Omega was the mm-hmm. big one. The Alpha yep. was the yeah. blue one, and him trying to swim away and 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 you know finishing his mission. It all looked uh, really good to me. It looked like kick-ass concept art that someone had come up with, that someone said, this is so good, we've got to do it exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah, it had like a really nice painterly kind of mm. vibe to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, it looked, I thought it looked really cool, and I thought that the, the um, I mean, it's a little bit of a cliche, the final reveal of him like opening his hand with all the pins, you know, but it, it still was really satisfying. I thought it was pretty cool. And you, and you really weren't sure, at least I wasn't sure, like, you know, here, okay, so I do they both die at the end? Like, or is there some reset that happens? I wasn't sure how that was going to play out either. But I was actually going to say, too, I did think that the uh, the above ground sequence, aside from the sort of what you mentioned, Mike, the stagey feeling, I did think even that above ground sequence was, again, pretty exciting and cool in that, you know, you had um, the two guys from, what was it, like J Squad or something, which yeah. just sounds so ridiculous that's j squad <laughs> that's something even funny about that yeah. name to me but uh but you had those two guys who kind of decide they're gonna like you know uh, take one for the that, team they're a little which bit is like kinda... f trip weren't they really? exactly yeah totally that's a great example but um so that was really satisfying i thought but also i thought the um you know the fact that the ship can't take off but they can get it to fly you know or just sort of skim along the the surface of the water or the ground or whatever as it's going uh from piece to piece and then it crashes through the um whatever that archway is i know it's not the arc de triomphe but the uh whatever it was in the uh in the film they just the the main fuselage goes through and the the uh, rotors are sheared off i don't know i just thought all that was cool and then how he um there was the guy uh who was shooting uh in the back of the ship and then he's i think uh disposed of at one point right and then uh, tom cruise yeah, has to hop I mean, on the gun and i mean it was like it's just a great out the action side. Scene. well yeah but it was all a bit like i don't know i mean it's i just thought it was fun it was like a fun uh, yeah but it, it was, was almost a fun like sequence leading up to that uh final that him hanging out the side and swinging in and you know like I, I don't know it just felt like you just needed to have one you know piece of stray metal and he's dead yet alone like 700 of those one more big set piece come on i mean yeah yeah i guess i mean i did criticize a film recently because it didn't have a set piece at the three-quarter mark in uh, x-men so yeah (laughs) i I can't have it both ways i guess okay but but let's move off that matt and just go down below did you not think it looked pretty in the water oh yeah no i mean i thought it was gorgeous i thought you know the the cool thing in that setup was that because of the uh, position of the uh, what is it, the Omega right at the bottom, um, and the fact that it kind of is a, a seemed to be some sort of bioluminescent creature, you had all this really great um, opportunities for backlight and stuff like that, which made it really ethereal and really dreamy. And then even with the Alpha coming in, who also possesses that same kind of luminescence, you got another really interesting light source. And I think it, yeah, like I think you you hit it on the head when you said it, it looked like. Um, like really great concept art you know i mean it was it was super uh beautiful looking yeah very sort of manga-esque kind of uh, comic book in a good way like in terms of graphic design it had a very sort of st- well staged drama yeah, not not like scott pilgrim not like scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> for those regular listeners that would be my number one insult to a film that it looked like scott pilgrim 
you're um, insane. There are still artists that worked on that that haven't forgiven me for that criticism. <laughs> That's because you're yeah. crazy. That's because that was I, the movie that I walked out of. I couldn't even watch the. Yeah. You're both. You're both that. nuts. It really was a case of I'll never get those ninety minutes back again, and it was like <laughs> torture. You could have, you could have literally given me knitting needles, and I'd prefer to have jabbed them into my own leg than <laughs> oh, stay in the man. cinema any longer. I think you should have knit yourself a mask so you didn't have to watch it. And earmuffs <laughs> at the same time. Just hated it. Everything about it, but not this. I like this. Okay, so. Um, there is an obvious, very convenient reset to when he's flying back into London, um, and that's a very nice time to be picking up the film. It, I left the cinema with a smile on my face. I thought it was a good film, and again, I just want to applaud the fact that it's an original sci-fi film. Somebody on Twitter, cleverer than me, said, look, if you're constantly bitching, complaining that there are no original sci-fi films, and you don't go and see this, and you've only got yourself to blame, yeah. if, if films like this are supported, then more of them are made, and I thought it was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought the effects team uh, did a really, really good job. And, um, you know, a lot of those sequences that we've sort of skipped past, like just the set extension or adding in all the extra stuff at the Heathrow set and stuff, you know, that was all, it all worked out really, really well. It didn't feel small. It didn't feel limited. And there are some very, very cool original looking stuff. And Lord knows those monsters are suitably, the aliens were suitably annoying, frightening. And, uh, and you know, while they were able to be stopped, they didn't seem to stop easily, which I thought was good. And you know, like the trailer park escape sequence, we haven't discussed that very much, but I mean, I thought that was a really good, you know, ripping off the back of the thing and him sitting at the top of it and blowing stuff apart. It was, uh, it was well, all a good romp. And I like that she did actually forget to unhitch the trailer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it would be stupid so, if she ran out and unhitched the trailer, right? You, you, you want her to leave it on, so it was. Yeah, and you want him to be like, oh, all right, here we go. Yeah. Okay, so uh, a good film all around. Um, I doubt we'll see a sequel from it, but then I said that before and been completely wrong. Um, but I, uh, I certainly would like more of these types of films. There you go. Um, Imageworks, of course, have relocated to Vancouver now. Uh, and, uh, and uh, in fact, the MPC uh, frame store guys, obviously MPC has a strong thing in Vancouver, which leads me to SIGGRAPH because SIGGRAPH is in Vancouver this year as well. So we're going to be there at uh, SIGGRAPH. Hopefully you guys will be too. Um, are either our co-hosts going to be there, Matt or Jason? Are you going to be at SIGGRAPH? I am not going to be attending this year, not for any reason other than I actually, <laughs> well, actually there is one reason. I'm, I'm going to be at Yale University for a totally different kind of conference that is about um, as far from SIGGRAPH as you can get, but it's about um, helping uh inner city K through 12 kindergarten through uh, high school teachers um, improve learning outcomes for students. So I'm doing something that's totally education related and nice. I will be stepping aside from the uh, world of visual effects for just this one year. I'll be back next year, but yeah, nice I'm not going to make it this time. And uh, Jason? Uh, I never seem to be able to make it out for those for some reason. Well, well uh, we well, the rest of the crew here are going. So um, if you guys are going to SIGGRAPH, keep an eye out for us because we're going to have a get-together. We're going to have a, like a pub drinks thing uh, in SIGGRAPH. Uh, and that'll be something to look forward to. I'm going to be in London next week and for a couple of weeks. I'm going over to see Monty Python Reform. So uh, I'll be off the air for a couple of weeks. But hopefully you guys will pick us up on the flip side. We've got some really good films coming up on the show. Uh, Transformers 4, uh, Dawn of the Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I've got to see a reel of that as well. I need this time I'm allowed to talk about it. So I, they, they explicitly said I was. 
Um, so I got to see uh, some of that work that's been done by Weta, just jaw-dropping, um, amazing actual acting performances coming through on the apes. So uh, that's another one to look out for. All of these coming up on the VFX show. Thank you so much, guys, for helping host the show. Uh, Matt, where can people um, track what you're doing and uh, find out what you're up to? You can always find all things Matt Wallen at my website, which is mattwallen.com. And in New York, Jason? Uh, the Twitters, Jason Diamond, one word, and my website with my brother, thediamondbros.com. And uh, I should say that uh, I'm going to definitely try and see if we can get you on the Transformers uh, one, Jason, because they're shooting with the new Transformers digital, sorry, the Transformers, the, um, <laughs> yes, the new Transformers camera <laughs> made, made by Optimus Prime. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yes, there's a new digital IMAX camera that they uh, were shooting that with, and ah. uh, it's really interesting to see what that looks like. It's a pretty interesting-looking uh, beast with uh, fixed dual lenses. In other words, you pop out two lenses at once and pop in two lenses at once. Oh, wow. You can stick some cooks on it, but that's all coming up uh, later, as I say, um, after the break, or after my break. I'm going to have some fun. Hey, um, please keep sending in uh, info and stuff, posting on uh, Twitter. I'm obviously Mike Seymour if you want to um, hit me. But we have the VFX show as well. I also want to thank uh, Todd, our producer. Todd does a great job in uh, pulling stuff together. He gets um, off-sided by uh, Ian here in the office and by our technical crew who sort of edit the whole show together. This week will probably be even more difficult than normal, so thanks to them. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. I'll see you again okay. and again. Bye. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.